Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Heavenly Father, we bless you and honor you for you are the God of God. You are the King of Kings. You have no equal. You have no rival. There is no one like you. There is no one that sits on your level. For all principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, rulers, they are all below you. All of the heavens, all of the earth, and all of the host were created by you and for you and serve you. You alone are holy. You alone stand apart. You alone are righteous, majestic, powerful, knowing. And yet we are the apple of your eye. You said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and we will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So this day, this Bible study, we ask for your presence. We ask that you would come and dwell in the midst. More than anything else in our lives, we want your presence to ever be with us. So we ask that you would bring revelation, that you would speak, that you would change our hearts, that you would create us into your image and manifest your face through our face. That we would be changed into the likeness of the Kohen Haggadah. Father, we also ask that you would lift up Dan and Christian as they are preparing and little Dylan is about to come forth, that there would be an ease to it, that there would be a blessing, that there would be joy, that there would be no opposition in the delivery of the child. And we are ready to rejoice with them. So we lift them up and ask that your hand beholding them in your strength, in your power, and in your safety. We ask for the heavens and the earth to be witnesses today, that they would hear what you have to say, that they would give ear to what their assignment is. I bless everyone's spirit, soul, and body today that they would be engaged that they would be welcome, that they would feel safe. I offer out clean garments of righteousness, crowns of glory, the bread of life, living water, sandals that can walk on holy ground. Hmm. Father, remind them that their feet have been washed, that they can walk on holy ground. That they can walk into the inheritance that you have given them. May you be a hedge of protection around this meeting, around our technology, around our conversation, around the speaking, around the hearing, that your word would go forth unopposed. We break down any barriers, obstacles, objections in the spirit. We break down any confusion or any plague, and we drive it out with the light of your glory today. Yeshua, may you be lifted up 
may you be made manifest as the apostle of our faith. In your name, amen. Amen. We're getting closer to the end of Isaiah, but as I mentioned right away, we're not going to get to the end today because there's still uh, 10 verses left. And I think there's also some other comments that have to be said um, before we get started. So first of all, Patricia mentioned this apex. We're, we're in this transition mode. Um, Candace mentioned this, the new beginnings comment. We're all kind of getting into that. We're all kind of feeling the same thing, that there is a shift. And I don't mean a shift. There's, there's shifts in seasons all the time in our lives. This is a monumental one in the history of this era, from Genesis to Revelation. This is it. We're, we're, we're approaching that monumental shift. This isn't just a monumental shift of, I'm going to get another level of patience in my life, and I've changed from one season to another over the course of a few months. This is a monumental shift that we are living on and and experiencing in the earth. So I want to share this with you, um, this thought that I've had, and Dan and I have spoken a little bit about this. As we are approaching this shift and on the other side of this shift is this thousand years and on the other side of the thousand years is this new creation of heavens and earth the enemy knows that this is taking place the enemy also knows that he's going to be bound for a thousand years therefore how is the enemy going to still have people follow him if he's going to be stuck in a hole. He has to create what I'm referring to as an anti-millennial kingdom. There's a structure that's being created to still oppose us, even in the millennial age, and it's being spoken right now in our midst, even amongst the prophetic community. It's an anti-millennial structure. (laughs) And for those of you that are new to the Bible study, I mean, you're thinking, what the, what's going on? Um, Yes, we're going to talk about Zion, but this is real important because we understand this in Bride of how the enemy sets up all of these counter moves that are designed to pull people aside to get them in, into a place of confusion, get them into a place of slumber, get them off of their gifting, off of their anointing, because he knows he can't stop us. So he, what he wants to do is divert us. So there's this anti-millennial kingdom that is being constructed. You'll hear it in, in words like this. Um, we know from the occult, obviously, that the age of Aquarius or a utopia. We're even hearing words of, we are entering into an era of higher consciousness. I've heard this phrase, people are starting to wake up and live in a fifth dimension. I'm hearing this even amongst the Christianese kind of community. 
as they are approaching this precipice as this apex, all of this language is for an anti-millennial kingdom. And I'm telling you this because you need to be careful of who you're listening to. You need to be really careful. There's warnings all over scripture. Be not deceived. Even to the point where it sounds like in Matthew, if possible, the elect might be deceived. Almost as if the remnant, the elect, are going to be right on the verge of complete deception. I think part of the deception, we're, we're aware of things like pre-tribulation and post-tribulation. We're aware of things like that. We get that here at Bride. I'm talking about there's another deception right around the corner that's already being set up, and I can hear it in the language, and I can hear it in the spirit. There is an anti-millennial kingdom being established, and they are going to speak about peace and safety. They're going to speak about how great this era is going to be. There is going to be healings from cancer. There is going to be a new type of currency set up. Now, I'm not saying that a new currency is bad. What I'm saying is, if God is going to establish freedom from the bondage of the corruption of the, the Babylonian monetary system, what's the enemy going to do? He's going to also say, okay, you want to be free from the Babylonian monetary system? Then I'm going to have my next counterfeit. So as God does his thing, and the enemy continues to continues to bring up an anti because really the enemy knows he's defeated. I actually think he already has come to the conclusion that he's lost the battle of this age. Even in his pride and arrogance, I think he's actually thinking he lost. So he's got to establish the next thing. So keep that in mind that when you hear these words of we're going to enter into an era of higher consciousness, oh, it's getting in touch with your Christ in you, even stuff like that. We're going to get in touch with a higher dimension of thought, a fifth dimension of thought. All of this stuff is the anti-millennial system. And it's going to be in place because Satan is going to be locked up. They're going to be without a leader. And he needs to establish a structure that's so strong that it can exist and still pull people away from God, even when Yahuwah himself is ruling and reigning from heaven and Jerusalem simultaneously. It always made me wonder, how could people still go against God when he's living here in manifest presence and everything has changed? And we're in new bodies, and yet you still go against what God's doing? That's because there's an anti-millennial kingdom being established. And it's going to seem like it's right to a lot of people. So that's happening right now. Be ready for that. Because you don't want, I know you guys will, will not go into that eventually, but you don't need to go through the, the weeks, the months, maybe the years 
of getting pulled into that and then having to unwind yourself from those things. Be careful today. So it's good to kind of know what's going on, but what, what my position is in terms of information is my first information comes right from here. This sets and, and kind of goes back to what Lola said about frequency. This sets my frequency. Prayer and worship set my frequency. Then that gives me the ability to interpret other frequencies. And what I found in, in my life when I go through different seasons is if I start to live in a place of being too much in other frequencies, and the frequencies can be news, it can be work, it can be um, exercise, it could be um, politics, it could be all kinds of other frequencies, all of a sudden I start to lose my understanding and differentiation between the frequency of heaven and truth and the frequency of deception. Because he does come as an angel of light. He doesn't come in all of his ugliness right away. He, he eventually kind of pulls you in. And there's always, it's kind of like a, a, a good joke. A good joke always has an element of truth to it. <laughs> well, same thing with a deception. A really good deception always has elements of truth to it. So we need to stay in that place of frequency. And if that means you have to back away for a while and just get into the right frequency of truth, and of the Holy Spirit, then that's what you need to do. And then what's going to happen is your eyes will be able to see much more clearly. So when I listen to someone like Simon Parks, he's not a believer at all. He might have some information of truth. He's, he is not like you where the Holy Spirit's residing in him and he is washed by the blood of Yeshua. I've heard enough of him to know that. That's really clear. So that to me means I don't trust anything he says. I'm going to weigh everything. And I mean, I, even though I, I, uh, I voted for Trump and I know that Trump is a vessel of God, he's, he's not the one I'm following. I only follow Yeshua. And as long as Yeshua is working through him, I'm good. But I'm also constantly watching if the enemy grabs him. And it doesn't have to be that he's fully on one side of the camp or the other. We both, we all kind of make mistakes and then get caught up in things in our lives, whether it's a moment of time or a season. So we all have to just be mindful of that. We want to say that this is good and this is bad. And it's not that simple. God uses even the bad sometimes for good. Nebuchadnezzar was used. Pharaoh's heart was hardened actually for the good of the deliverance. It's like, what? <laughs> that doesn't mean you're following Pharaoh, but he actually was anointed to do that role to drive Israel into prayer. So again, stay in the frequency of, uh, of heaven. Um, I see that there was someone else that wanted to see. Did I miss something? Okay. So the, I wanted to share that with you guys really be on watch. God's given us the Holy Spirit to do that. And even with me, check against the Spirit, against the Scriptures, everything I say, even right now. The Thessalonians, or the Bereans, in, in Acts chapter 17, Paul said were more noble than the Thessalonians. 
because they received the word with an open heart that Paul was saying. And then they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were true. They were checking the great apostle Paul. And Paul said, right on, that's what you're supposed to do. Because Paul knew even in his, his own humanity, he could be deceived. He could be flowing in and out of something he wasn't supposed to be flowing in. So check everything. And yeah, it, I think it's real important in this apex of time um, to really narrow down where truth is coming from. And if you have to, just stick in the word, stick in prayer until you really feel like you're, you're fine-tuned enough to, to be strong enough that you can walk and not be deceived. Moving on. So that's something I want to share. Now, talk about this anti-millennial. Let's now look at what's coming up for us in the truth. Zechariah chapter 8. And I'll put this in the chat. I want to look at these verses before we jump into the next. You can see why we're not, there's no way we're going to finish Isaiah. And, and I realized that <laughs> early. There's too much to be said. I think God wants to say a lot today on, on different topics. So Zechariah chapter eight, starting in verse one. And I'll go ahead and read this and then bring some stuff out. Again, the word of Yahuwah. So both came to me saying, now we just kind of run over, oh, Yahweh Saboth speaking. No, no, no. Yahweh Saboth means he's coming as the commander of the host to speak to him. <laughs> he's not coming. He's coming not as the lamb. He's not coming as a like uh, El Shaddai, the, the, the bosom of the Father. He's coming as the commander of the host, which means he comes with the hosts to speak. <laughs> Imagine that. The whole host of heaven comes. I have something to say to you, Zechariah. <laughs> okay, that's what's happening. Verse 2. Thus says Yahuwah Saboth. He says it again. <clears throat> I was kana, jealous for Zion, with great kaana, jealousy. I was kaana, he's the third time he says this in the verse, for her with great fury. So that's the context of Yahuwah Saboth coming. It's for Zion. He is passionate about Zion. And he has come with great fury to say this to Zechariah. Thus says Yahuwah. I am returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. Has that happened today? No way. It will. And the mountain of Yahuwah, Saboth, the holy mountain. What he's declaring is Yeshua came to earth He returned unto Zion. 
He is stirring up with great jealousy and great fury because Zion is not coming into the earth yet. And when Zion gets manifest onto the earth, it's going to be changing Jerusalem into a city of truth. And God's holy mountain, which is in Zion, comes down into the earth, into Jerusalem. That's the leading message that he says to Zechariah here. Verse 4. Thus says Yahweh Sabaoth. He's making this really clear. This is real intense with the army of heaven. There shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for a very age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. He's basically saying, all of my children, young and old, male and female, will dwell in joy and pleasure and in safety in Jerusalem. That's what he's saying. Verse 6, thus says Yahweh Sabaoth. Now, in order to get to that place of dwelling of safety, that means everything's changing. There's a massive change taking place in Jerusalem and in the earth in order for that to happen. And he just said, I'm just bringing down my holy mountain and boom, dwelling in on the earth. Verse 6, thus says Yahuwah Sabaoth, if it is a marvelous sight in the eyes of the remnant, us, of this people in these days, means it's going to be this incredible event to us. Should it also be marvelous in my eyes? He's even saying, I'm looking forward to this. You guys are starting to stir and get excited for this time. I am stirring and excited for this time. I've been waiting for this, he's saying, from Zion. Zion's been waiting. I have been waiting. Now you're finally waiting. It's what it, All this is coming together, says Yahuwah Sabaoth. Verse 7, thus says Yahuwah Sabaoth. Behold, look, pay attention to, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. He's going to bring them all together. What comes to mind is uh, from uh, Hebrews chapter 10, our sins are as far as from the east as from the west. It's the extension of all creation. He's going to say, I'm going to grab my people from everywhere. As far as the east is from the west, everywhere that they have possibly been taken to, I'm going to grab them. Verse 8, and I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. We've said this before. You do not need to get your plane ticket to go to Jerusalem in due season. There will be a teshuvah, a repentance that takes place, and then a movement by God's mighty hand. This is also part of the, to me, uh, deception of, oh, well, we need to get people back into the, the nation of Israel. And you see these commercials on the screen. No, 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 no. I will bring them, according to verse 8. And they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people. And I will be their Elohim in truth and in righteousness. Every time you see that phrase, and it's throughout scripture, I will be their Elohim and they will be my people. That means Israel. 
It's all defined in the book of Hosea. Where Israel gets divorced. And then Hosea, and he plays this out, marrying a harlot, has a child. And one of the children is, you are not my people. And God says to them, because you have done these things, you will no longer be my people and, you, and I will no longer be your God. And this is all in Hosea. So the restoration of Israel scattered amongst the nations when they return through the blood of Yeshua is that Yahuwah will be their Elohim and they will be his people. That's specifically for Israel. Again, all of you guys have heard this for all of these sessions in Isaiah and Zion. That is not geographic Israel. That is Israel scattered into the earth, which has not been gathered yet. By the way, if you're, if you're covered in the blood of Yeshua, you are grafted into Israel. You are Israel. So now you can declare, Yahuwah is my God, and I am your people. I say this all the time in prayer. It is... It is declaring in the spirit that I am Israel. Yahuwah, you are my Elohim and I am your people. That's what this is saying. So whenever you see that verse, that's what it means. Verse 9. Thus says Yahuwah Saboth, let your hands be strong. Listen to this. These are words of encouragement. You that hear in these days... These words by the mouth of the prophets, which were in the day, the foundation of the house of Yahuwah Saboth was laid, that the temple might be built. Okay, so that's a mouthful. But what he's saying is, pay attention, you that are Israel, that have been grafted into the birthright through the blood of Yeshua, who returned to Zion and his coming down. Pay attention to the true voice of the prophets, going back to making sure you know which voice you're hearing. For it's the prophets that will speak of the building of the temple, not the anti-temple. The spiritual house. Remember, going back to Isaiah 66, verse 1, who shall build me a house? For the heavens are my throne, the earth is my footstool. You are my house. So when we declare, Yahuwah, you are my Elohim, and I am your people, you are also declaring, I am your house. I am your dwelling place. Those are the voices of the prophets that speak that way. Pay attention to them. And for you that are listening to that in these days, that's the word of encouragement. He is building the house that he is going to bring his mountain down into. It's a word of encouragement. That's why we speak of building the house. And I've shared this with you guys in the past. Um, some people see things differently in the spirit. 
when, when Yeshua healed the blind man and he put some mud in his eye and what do you see? I see men walking as trees. He saw people walking as trees and then he put some more mud and then he could see people in the 3D world. Frequently, I see people as houses and I see structures and I see some people that have basements that are poured out. I see some people with frameworks. I see some people that have these extravagant outsides and all the painting on the outside and the inside, it's all decayed and crepid. And I say, okay, well, we need to start tearing this down and start building this up and we have to apply these foundational stones to the foundational cornerstone, which is Yeshua. So this is what's taking place. Be encouraged and listen to the people that are speaking this way. Paul, that's why Paul spoke about this over and over again. Peter started to get this revelation. He talked about living stones being built up as spiritual house. This is who you're, you need to listen to. Let's keep going. Verse 10, for before these days, there was no hire for man, nor, nor hire for beast. Neither was there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. So what he's saying is there really wasn't the sowing and reaping established for God's people. We're reaping. I mean, we're sowing, 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 sowing. It doesn't seem like we're, we're reaping a whole lot in righteousness. You realize that actually from the beginning of creation, our sowing was to reap bountifully. And in this fallen world, under the Babylonian system, we are reaping in a very difficult, laborious manner. Most of our crops get stolen. Most of our crops are plagued. The, the water is difficult to get to. The sunlight is messed up. I mean, everything is, is, is a labor. Hence, that's why when the curse took place, after the fall in the garden, he said, you will labor and there will be thistles and thorns coming forth from the earth. So everything is a labor and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. That's what Yahweh is saying here. But verse 11, but now I will not be unto the residue of this people, us, the remnant, as in the former days, says Yahweh of hosts, for the seed shall be prosperous. The vine shall give her fruit. The ground shall give up her increase and the heavens shall give their due. This goes back to the blessing of Joseph. Genesis 49, I believe verse 25. Because Joseph is the birthright tribe of Israel. So if we're grafted into Israel, then we receive the birthright, and the birthright is the inheritance. Dan always talks about the undiscovered inheritance. The undiscovered inheritance is of Joseph. The heavens pour out their blessings. The earth pours out its blessings. The womb pours out its blessings. Everything is multiplying. We don't know what that means yet. We have not lived in that kind of multiplication yet. That is actually there written in the scrolls. And what Yahuwah is saying to Zechariah is tell this to the people. Yahuwah Sabaoth is going to make this happen. And he is jealous for it. He is zealous for it. He is coming in fury because this has not happened yet. This is the, the true approach of the millennial kingdom. Not this anti-stuff. 
Going back to the word remnant, I want to share this a little bit, and I'm going to put this in the chat. The word remnant is thrown around a lot. But the word remnant is not only real important to understand the specificity of it, but there's also a timing element to it. So the word remnant, uh, in, in this this whole pat, these first uh, these last few verses that I just read, goes back to Zechariah eight six, where remnant is mentioned, and he is speaking to the remnant. That strong seventy six eleven, pronounced shearith. It also um, so remnant also means remainder, not remainder, remainder. Residual, final portion. And we want to go to the first mention on something, because I think this reveals really what remnant is all about. So think about this. In the last days, in the apex of time, in the apex of an era, there is a remnant that is holding all things together in prayer. That's us. Genesis 45 is the first mention, 45.7 is the first mention of the word remnant. This is Joseph, back to Joseph, and the blessings and the birthright speaking to his family. Genesis 45.7, when they threw Joseph into slavery, sold him into slavery, he's in Egypt, and he's about to help them get deliverance. Genesis 45.7. And Elohim sent me before you to preserve, there's the word, a prosperity remnant. Preserve you as a remnant. Prosperity actually should be remnant, same word in the Hebrew. In the earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. This is what's being said. God has created. God has birthed. God has matured a remnant in the earth, which you are, to save all of humanity from Egypt. Egypt being a manifestation of the city of Babylon. The first mention of remnant is Joseph declaring that he was placed into the earth as the birthright of Israel to save all of Israel from bondage, from Egypt, from the city of Babylon. Remember, the city of Babylon is a spirit. It's the counter spirit to the city of Zion. And the spirit of the city of Babylon manifests across nations, across empires, across ages. That's why when people read the book of Revelation, they say, oh, it's the city of Babylon. Oh, it's New York City. No. Oh, it's Vatican. No. That's because it's much deeper than that. It's much more nasty than that. It's like an octopus that has gone across all of these empires, all of these nations, all of these mountains, because the city of Babylon is also in 
government, it's in business, it's in entertainment, it's in religion, it's in all of these things. And Joseph saying, I have been sent to save the remnant. That's what we're doing. That's how much authority you have in the spirit and why Satan is trying to counterfeit your authority because you have too much of it for him. Okay, so the root of this Strong's word for remnant, Shearith, comes from this other Hebrew word, which first mention is Genesis chapter 7. I think Kendra's spirit has been looking at my notes again ahead of time. Kendra, you... Your, your uh, desk might be right near my desk in the classroom. Genesis 7, verse 23, talking about Noah. And every living substance was destroyed, which is upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping things and the fowl of heaven. They were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained. That's the root word of remnant. And they which were with him in the ark. So we have these two examples of first mentions of remnants. One time to Joseph to save all of humanity, or as in the Amplified, as Patricia read, all the survivors. And then we have Noah as a remnant to destroy all of the wickedness and to reset the earth. Well, of course, Yeshua said, as in the days of Noah. This all makes sense. It's all connected. So as in the days of Noah, I am going to judge the city of Babylon, the earth. And as in the days of Joseph, I am going to save my people and then pour out the blessings of Joseph upon them. I mean, this is really deep and layered and repetitive so that we get it. Back to Zechariah chapter 8. All great stuff. Hmm. Yeah, let's keep going. Zechariah chapter 8. I'll finish this up. Verse 13. Zechariah 8, 13. And it shall come to pass that as you were a curse amongst the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, both houses. So I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, lest your hands, let your hands be strong. Again, word of encouragement, because this is going to happen. This is what we are hoping for. We are not hoping for a utopia. We're not hoping for a fifth dimension access. We are not hoping for the age of Aquarius, we are hoping for this. So now this is the frequency and this is the, the, the milestone. This is the goal. This is the end that we are focused on. And anything that does not align with this is out. It's false. Verse 14. For thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, as, as I thought to punish you. This goes all the way back to Mount Sinai with his wrath. When your fathers provoked me to wrath, 
says Yahuwah Sabaoth. And I repented not. I mean, I didn't turn, turn away at that time. I held it back until the cross. And then I poured out my wrath upon Yeshua. So again, I have thought in these days to do well unto Jerusalem into the house of Judah. Fear you not. Wow. So think about, think about the, the memory and the patience of Yahuwah Almighty. So first of all, Yahuwah speaks to Moses in the burning bush. Who should I say that sent me? I am, means I'm always existing. I see everything all the time. I am outside of time. I exist. That's who sent you. That's who's, who's sending you. His wrath, he did not change his mind from Mount Sinai all the way to the cross. He was still as furious to Israel on the cross. Think about that fury that he wanted to destroy them all being poured out upon Yeshua. Likewise, he's making this comparison. Likewise, I still have an intent and am jealous to pour out my blessings upon you. And I haven't done it yet. And I am so waiting. I am antsy. I am excited. I am filled with zeal to release the blessings from heaven. As much as we are getting blessed in our walks, and we are, it's nothing compared to what he can't wait to release. He's using that comparison. It's going to be beyond what not only we see, I think beyond what we can even think about. We, I, I remember this uh, a number of weeks ago. Yahweh told me, you have not experienced freedom yet. We have not experienced the blessings established in Joseph yet. It's going to be amazing. Verse 16, Zechariah 8, 16. These are the things that you shall do. This is part of the encouragement in preparation for all this. Speak you, every man, the truth to his neighbor. Execute judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Means in the places of decision, in the places of judgment. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts. We talked about the evil in the imagination and the construction. It's a machine. It's, a, it's, it's structures in the spirit that we can do as we mull around our hearts. So don't do that. Against his neighbor and love no false oath. For all these things are what I hate, says Yahuwah. So if you do these, if you speak truth, if you execute righteousness, if you don't build false contracts in the spirit, you are preparing yourself to receive these incredible blessings of Joseph that have been promised to Joseph that you are grafted into. That is the mindset. That is the, the, the measure of truth that we now compare all of these anti-millennial thoughts against, right? So I wanted to establish that. 
We still aren't in Isaiah, but I have something else I want to share. I want to talk a little bit about two um, sentient entities that are becoming my friends more and more. <laughs> because it's necessary to understand this in the context of the last days. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You guys all know this. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Those are becoming my two friends. The heavens and the earth. Genesis 2, verse 1 is interesting in the kind of sequence of Genesis 1. It says, Genesis 2, verse 1, thus, so when all this is done, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them were also finished. So it gives a little bit of a clue of the purpose of the heavens and the earth. Now, when we go to the end of the book in Revelation, there's a lot of mention of the heavens and the earth, including a new heavens and new earth. So from start to finish, like the beginning and the end, the heavens and the earth are very significant. I mean, Kind of shockingly so when we think about it this way. So let's talk a little bit about the heavens and the earth. I want to give you a little bit more understanding of who they are so that you all can actually engage with them the way I think we are supposed to be engaging with them. I'm going to put in the chat Deuteronomy 31.28. I think this is important as we are finishing up Isaiah. And many of you are engaged with the heavens and the earth. We're going to do this even more so with more understanding, because the more understanding we have, then the more faith gets built up, more faith gets built up, the more reality starts to take place. Deuteronomy 31 verse 28 so this is Moses speaking to Israel. Gather unto me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to record against them. So what Moses is saying is, I am, he was reciting the entire book of the covenant, the entire book of the law. And he's saying the book of the law, and he did this in Deuteronomy 26, the book of the law is going to be a witness against you. So it's a witness against you, meaning this is the measure of which you will be found to be filled with sin, transgression, and iniquity, because no one can keep the book of the law. But not only is the law going to be written on your hearts that's going to expose you that you are insufficient to have a relationship with God so that you understand you need a savior. In addition, the heavens and the earth are also going to watch you and be witnesses against you. So they're going to be watching. The heavens and the earth are watching to see if you live up to perfection of the book of the law. 
Whoa, think about that. These sentient entities are actually watching as witnesses. So we know that survivors are witnesses in, in the evil that's committed against them. The heavens and the earth are witnesses to everything. Everything. Let's keep going on heavens and earth. They're witnesses, they were witnesses, to Yeshua's birth. They were witnesses to his death. They were witnesses to his resurrection. That's why there were earthquakes. There were signs. There were stars. There were um, darkness. Um, they witness all of this. They will also be witnesses to the judgment against the city of Babylon in the book of Revelation and her children. We can't understand the book of Revelation until we understand also that the heavens and the earth are witnesses to the transgressions of the city of Babylon to the heavens, to the earth, and Genesis 2.1, and all the host therein. The heavens and the earth have witnessed this all and all that have been within them. So then also what happens? The heavens and the earth hold the ungodly spirits, hold until the day of judgment at the white throne judgment, then they release them to be judged and they are witnesses. So the ungodly, unrighteous spirits will be in heavens and earth, like the sea gave up its dead, for example, at the white throne judgment, so that they can be judged, and the heavens and the earth will be their witnesses, along with some of you all. Turn to uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 9. heavens and the earth. Revelation 20, verse 9. So these are the nations at the end of the millennial kingdom that have been deceived by the anti-millennial structure, construct, that is already being spoken of today. That's why I started there and is now established in during the thousand year reign. And there Gog and Magog have gathered all these nations together. And here we go. Revelation 20 verse nine. And they, these are the ungodly nations during this time. They went up on the breadth of the earth. So now if the earth, if they're on the earth, that means the earth is a witness. Encompass the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, Zion, the beloved city that has come down onto Jerusalem. And fire came down from Yahuwah out of heaven and devoured them. Jump to verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it 
from whose face, now people don't understand exactly what happened. I want to explain this, what's, what's happening here in Revelation 20, verse 11. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Most people think the heaven and the earth get wiped out before there's a new heaven and earth. Not true. Not true. They fled away in the King James. Well, when you go through the Septuagint, so you can find what the Hebrew word is, the first mention of the Hebrew word is found in, and I'll put this in the chat, Genesis. Oh, it's back to Genesis. Of course it is. I know my kids would say, Dad, we always go back to Genesis. That is true, because Genesis has all the foundational understanding. Genesis 14, verse 13. So this word fled. So the heavens and the earth fled away at the time of the white throne judgment. So when they bring forth the unclean spirits. When they bring forth the ungodly spirits, Yahuwah then shows up. Guess what? Their job is actually done. Genesis 14, verse 13. First mention. And there came one that had escaped. So what was happening here at this time is the Canaanite kings... Ben Ha Elohim, the sons of the fallen, the sons of the fallen gods. We're still stirring everything up right now. All of these Canaanite kings had taken Lot and some of Abraham's people and goods, and they've taken them captive. So there came one, and so one escaped and got to Abraham, that escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mambri, the Amorite, the brother of Eshkol, the brother of Anar, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he, uh, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, pursued unto Dan. So that word escaped is the same word as fled. Well, what were they escaping? Oh, man, this God's word is so cool. So we just talked about as in the days of Noah. Now we have as in the days of Lot. See that tie? As in the days of Lot, there was an escape, a fleeing. So what's happening is the heavens and the earth are fleeing the city of Babylon, fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah, which is also in the spirit of the city of Babylon, as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Lot. The heavens and the earth don't get destroyed and wiped out and are no longer in existence. No, they did their job. They brought forth the spirits that had to be judged at the white throne judgment. They were witnesses. Yahuwah the judge shows up and they say, cool. We're out of here. We don't want to touch anything that is unholy anymore. So I was meditating on this several months ago and about um, the new heavens and the earth. And I said, heavens and earth. 
I feel really bad for you. You're going to get destroyed. How do you feel about this? And they're like, no, we're not going to get destroyed. We're actually going to get liberated. We get to throw off the bondage. Oh, boy. That humanity has placed us under. And we get free and become the new heavens and the earth. So, so how does this the bondage that we get placed under? Okay, Yeshua dies once in all eternity. He died on earth, significance of earth. Don't be deceived that there's other earths that are as important. Newt, 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 newt. Don't be deceived that Mars is just as good. Don't be deceived another galaxy is just as good. He died in one place alone in Earth. He also died as one aspect of creation, humanity. He died as a human being. He's not going to do it again. He's not going to come as a giraffe. He's not going to come as a wind and die. He's not going to come as Venus, as a planet. No, none of this stuff. No, 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 no. It's as a human on earth. Even in his own law, he says, it is appointed for man once to die. What applies to him too? So this is what he did. If he puts that significance, that much significance of earth, of humanity, and he is the Kohen Haggadol, he is the great high priest. In order to be the great high priest, stay with me on this, he comes as a priest in the same likeness of who he is a priest for. He is a priest for us so that we can approach the Father. Okay, stay with me on this. We do not have to flee from the face of the Father. We have a Kohen Haggadah in our likeness. The heavens and the earth do not have a Cohen Haggadah in their likeness. Now, just to back up, Cohen means priest in Hebrew. Ha, hi, Gadal, Gadal is most high. So we have a most high priest. That's what that means. That's why I'm saying that that way. We have a high priest because he is in our likeness. So therefore, we can go to the Father and not flee. Come boldly before the throne of grace. The heavens and the earth in that manifestation, that much manifestation of the Father, have to flee because they don't have a Kohen Haggadah in their likeness. Here's the next step of the thought. If we can go to the Kohen Haggadah, and ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, 
and ye shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. We can go on behalf of the heavens and the earth. My goodness. The heavens and the earth want us to engage with them so that we can go on behalf to our Cohen Haggadol for them. This totally makes sense. All of creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. Why? Because we get to go to the Kohen Haggadol on their behalf. They can't because they don't have a Kohen Haggadol in their likeness before the Father. This is how much authority you have. This is how much access you have. So the heavens and the earth then get transformed in Revelation 21, 1, to a new heavens and earth, but the entities still exist. So this is, I want to describe the heaven, now that we got that established. So here's kind of the heavens and the earth and kind of trying to describe them in my soul and in the three-dimensional space that we're in. They're kind of like spatial entities, massive containers that are sentient. That's why all the hosts live within the heavens and the earth. Kind of as Dan describes it in his, I think his, his book about sheep nations, that uh, think about death and hell as both uh, persons and realms. And that's why in mythology you ha have, excuse me, Hades as a person, but then it's also a location. Heavens and earth are a little different. They're really not persons. They're spatial realms and entities that, I'll say it this way, um, they're the closest to all-knowing to God Almighty. Yahweh is Almighty. He's all-knowing. But the heavens and the earth, because they are the containers of all the host, are the closest to being all-knowing to God. That's why they are the best witnesses. And they witness everything. That's why they're in the beginning. That's why they're in the end. That's why they go right to the white throne judgment. And then when their job is done, they flee. And then they come back and return as the new heavens and the new earth. That's why Moses said that they are the witnesses against you. That's why we can call them out to be witnesses on our behalf. They were witnesses of the wrath that Yahweh was going to execute on Israel. And then they were witnesses that the wrath that was poured on Yeshua. They were witnesses to the covenant that was given to Abram and Joseph and everybody else. And they will be witnesses and they want to be witnesses to the covenants being manifest on us. That's why the covenants are the dues and the blessings from heaven. And the dues and the blessings from the earth go to us because they are witnesses of the covenant. So therefore they can say, yes, we release these things unto you. Now, when they release these things, that is everything that they contain, which is all of the host. They contain all of the host. It's not just the angels. It's not just humanity. 
It is the winds, it's the stars, it's the plants, it's the trees, it's the beans, it's the soil, it's everything. They are the massive containers of all of creation. Hence the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all the host, where? They're in. With that said, we should engage the heavens and the earth. And oh, by the way, just as a really big kicker, in Proverbs it says, and by the spirit of understanding, I created the heavens. And by the spirit of wisdom, I created the earth. And if we are tied into the spirit of understanding and the spirit of wisdom, we are also engaged in the creation of the heavens and the earth. Oh, my goodness. Selah. We were engaged in the heavens and the earth as the best witnesses, as the things that are the most omniscient, as the things that contain everything of God's creation for our own blessing. And then we go to the Kohen Haggadah to say, Father, I want to release the things that I created with you to bless myself. <laughs> Okay, so I want to share this. So this came up. Um, you know, one of the biggest enemies against the true remnant of God, the true people, the remnant of God, and I'm speaking to you guys, is false humility. False humility. Oh, I can't ask for that. That is way too big. And, you know, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to seek God's seek God's word on that. Does it really, am I really supposed to ask and really, and, and he'll give it to me? No, that I, I shouldn't. I mean, that's, this, this, it comes actually from the same stupidity that we see with people that are, are lashing themselves on the back. <laughs> that's the spirit of false humility. The spirit of false humility is actually pride. It's actually pride. I actually don't need to ask anything I want. I already have it. And look at me. I can stand up on my own. It, it seems kind of counterintuitive because that, that root, that unholy root of the lie has been sown into us so much into humanity that by us asking for the world, that seems to be prideful. And us asking for nothing, that seems to be humble, but it's actually the reverse. Think about little kids. Daddy, I want this. Do you think the kids are in pride when they say that? No, they're in humility. <laughs> like, I don't have nothing, Dad. Can you give it to me? Can you give it to me? That's actually a place of humility. It's not a place of pride. So as grown-ups now, we say, no, we're not going to ask God for the earth and the heavens. That's too much. That's actually pride. That's false humility. Back to the heavens and the earth. So they're supposed to be with us. They're waiting for us. They want to speak with us. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 1. I'll put this in the chat. And I'm going to put another verse in the chat, too, from Deuteronomy since we're there. So Deuteronomy 32, verse 1. 
Moses, the most humble man on the earth, has to me the most to say about engagement with the heavens and the earth. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think that there's a reason for that. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse one. They call it Moses' song in my King James. (laughs) So this is Moses' song. He starts off by saying this. Give ear, O you heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. He is commanding the heavens and the earth. Pretty amazing. Do you think the most humble man on the earth would say that out of pride? No, he's actually saying that out of humility. Because he knows who he is as a child of God. So he's commanding them to listen to him. Next verse. Deuteronomy 4, 36. Out of heaven... Deuteronomy 4, 36. Out of heaven, he made you to hear his voice. So talk back to this whole concept about frequency. The frequency, there's there's channels of his voice that comes from heaven. So another reason that we have to engage in the heavens is this is where we also hear his voice. That he might instruct you. And upon the earth, he showed you his great fire. The earth actually produces in his manifest presence in different forms, including fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. So both the heavens and the earth contain his voice. So even if you're saying, Todd, this whole thing about engaging the heavens and the earth, that I'm not there yet. Todd, I don't get the whole thing about you being a priest under Yeshua Mashiach as the great priest. On behalf of the heavens, I'm not there. I want to at least say this to you. If you want to hear his voice, go talk to the heavens. If you want to hear his voice, go talk to the earth. This is why Romans chapter 1, Paul states, And all of creation declares the glory of God so they are without excuse. Because my voice was in them, even though I may not have sent anybody specifically to speak to them, I sent the heavens and the earth as witnesses. And they ignored it. Isaiah 66. And you know, if we do one verse, that's at least a half hour. (laughs) I love this. Um, Isaiah 66, verse 15. One verse. We're going to stick to one verse and one verse only. 
Isaiah 66, verse 15. But it's a mighty verse. For Isaiah 66, 15. For behold, Yahweh will come with fire. Think about all the heavens and the earth comments. Fire. It's within the heavens and the earth. And with his chariots like a whirlwind within the heavens and the earth. To render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Yowza. Todd. That's not very encouraging. (laughs) Actually, it's real encouraging. Let me show you why. This ties back to our chapters a couple chapters ago. I'll put this in the chat. Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. So, of course, we do one verse in Isaiah. We have to go to a couple other verses in Isaiah. So those of you that have been in the study, you'll remember this. This was intense. Isaiah 63, describing Yeshua coming from Edom, dripping with blood in his garments. So Isaiah 63, verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone. And of all the people that were none with me, for I tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury. So this is why it kind of t- Isaiah 66, 15 ties back to this. He's talking about his fury and the release of his fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed, which is also part of the remnant, is come. So our day has come. This is part of the encouragement. Finally, what we read in Zechariah 8 is due. It's the apex. It is what's about to happen. We should be encouraged. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm, Yeshua, brought salvation unto me, and my fury, it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in my anger and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. He is talking about the city of Babylon and all the children thereof. This is what we've been waiting for. Judgment upon the wicked, the ungodly, and the unrighteous. And I don't mean just the humanity components. It is all of of Satan and his minions. That's why this is good news. This is what's happening in Isaiah 66, 15. He's he's tying it back to this. So I want to spend one more time. One more time. One more time. Because this is all the same event taking place, um, being spoken of in different ways. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven, oh, oh, there's heaven again. Look at that. Heaven opens up. Why? Because heaven contains the host. I saw heaven opened up and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him 
was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does judge and make war. By the way, um, I've shared this with uh, uh, a few people. Um, my prayer, my prayer tone has changed in the last month to, to one of actually violence upon my enemy. I think that's also what you guys are sensing as this change going on. There is a violence that is coming forth out of my prayer language in this tone against my enemy. And at the same time, there is what we would have said prior to today's Bible study is a, is, is a pride, but it's actually a demanding of the Father to give good gifts to his people. I am asking, I am seeking, I am knocking, I am saying, let's go. There's this tone shift that has taken place. So back to Revelation 19, verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Here we got fire, heaven, all tied. And on his head were many crowns, because he has the authority. And he has a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, tying back to Isaiah 66, I mean, Isaiah 63. And his name is called the word of Yahuwah. There's the word. There's the frequency. The word is found in the heavens. The word is found in the earth. See how this is all kind of tying together. And the armies, the hosts, which were in heaven, because heaven's a witness to all of this, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, which we know is the word, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of fierceness and wrath of almighty El Shaddai Elohim. There's the winepress, Isaiah 63 coming out of Edom, who are the leaders of the city of Babylon. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So all of that's tied together. So let's talk a little bit about this fire, because I keep hearing this repeating theme of fire. Heavens, earth, fire. Fire. The word fire... I'll put this in the chat. I think you guys are going to like this too. Comes from Hebrew, Strong's 784, Aish. The Hebrew letters are Aleph Sheen. Aleph Sheen. It's fire. It also gets translated into our Bibles as sometimes burning, sometimes fiery, sometimes fire, sometimes flame. And the first mention of it is Genesis 15, 17. I'll just reference this. When Abram is told to put the sacrifices out there, a great darkness comes upon him because Yahweh Almighty shows up and the burning or fiery lampstand and the smoking furnace passed through. 
So the fire, the first mention of fire is actually describing Yeshua. And the covenant between the father and the son on behalf of Abraham and us. So the first mention of fire is Yeshua himself. Okay, so remember, it's Aleph Sheen. Exactly, Susan. Light, fire. So now, man. The word for man is interesting. There's two words for man typically used. One is Strong's 120, which is Adam, or Adam. We get Adam from. There is another word for man that is typical, more common, more used throughout scripture. And that is Strong's 376 or Ish. Very, very close to fire. So Ish or Ish, Ish, man is Aleph, Yod, Sheen. Fire is Aleph, Sheen. The only difference between fire and man, and man in this case is, is not male man. Man is like human. That's ish. The only difference between fire and mankind is the yod. The symbol for yod is of the hand. So when the hand of God is placed in the fire, you get man. Here's the first mention and what it ties back to as a picture of this. Genesis 2, 7. And I've shared a little bit um, with you guys in the past of being in the wilderness and, and doing things like that as an adventure. Genesis 2, 7 is a really interesting picture, and it's going to tie fire and man together. Watch this. It's really cool. By the way, when... When I'm studying, and, and, and Dan and Christian and I have talked about this, we, we might do a, a course on studying scripture. When I'm studying and going off on all these tangents, what I'm doing is I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, and the, I start to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit starts then revealing all this, these various things. Um, when I read the scripture, I'm actually having a dialogue with Yeshua, and Yeshua starts to tell me, well, Todd, if you're going to, since you're bringing up fire, I want to take you to Genesis 2-7. If you're bringing up fire, I want you to go to Gen uh, Revelation 19. And oh, by the way, pause there. I want you now to worship on fire and just meditate on this a little bit. And then all of a sudden, the heavens start to chime in and say, well, Todd, I want to show you this about the fire. And, I'm, and then I just kind of hang out in that place. That's what happens. So this has nothing to do with, with my intellect, my soulish ability to go in and dig. It really is the revelation of God that I position myself to say, Todd's spirit, submit to the Holy Spirit and to the voice of Yeshua and wherever you want to go, go. That's why, for example, we barely got into Isaiah 66 because the Holy Spirit had me going somewhere totally different the last two weeks and really started to open up the heavens and the earth to me. So it has nothing to do with me. I am just a vessel. I'm just a mouth of going into the library in the heavens, sitting by the fireplace with Yeshua, and then he starts to talk. And I do my best in my soul and in this earth realm to try to translate what's going on. 
and a lot of times I don't know what's coming out of my mouth at that time either. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> that's how it works. So I just wanted to share that because I know we've gone off into all kinds of different tangents and that's why we go into tangents and how we get there. So Genesis 2-7. Kind of going back to Ben, um, narrowing down the voices that you hear. By narrowing down the voices that I hear, I'm actually hearing more of God. It seems counterintuitive, limit the voices. I don't go and study anybody else's interpretations. I haven't done that for years. I just, I absolutely stopped. And all of a sudden what's happened is I actually hear more revelation then that way. Now I'm always taking that revelation and, and then applying it to the word to make sure it's lining up with the word. But I am actually getting more revelation by narrowing down the voices that I hear. Genesis 2-7. And Yahuwah Elohim, that means Yahuwah the creator, Yahuwah Elohim, formed Adam, man, of the dust of the ground, that's earth, by the way. He formed him out of earth. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So you have breath or a heavenly breath, the wind coming out of heaven. This is all going to make sense in a minute. And Adam became a living soul. So we know that we got the spirit component of the heavens. We have the earth component of the body. And when the two come together in the womb, then the soul exists. And now we got spirit, soul, and body. But there's more going on here in terms of the fire. If you live in your house, and you turn on the fire, you turn on your stove, and it automatically ignites, and you get fire. Some of you have fireplaces, and you have those devices where you can just press a button, and the fire comes up. Or some of you, like us, we have a fireplace where you have to put some logs on there, put some kindling under there, and then maybe you take a lighter, <laughs> and then you light the fire. But if you didn't have anything to light a fire from. How do you create fire or make fire manifest? Well, what they used to do is fire. Now think about this from the heavens and the earth standpoint. Fire can actually come out of no source necessarily other than the heavens and the earth. This is how you do it. And they, you, you know that true survivalists, is, this is what they do. They take, yeah, you, a spark. So you could take like a flint stone and create a spark. This is another way to do it. They take a, uh, a spindle piece of wood, put it into another piece of wood with a hole in it. Take maybe a string or something that you can spin the cylinder spindle really fast in the other piece of wood. So you're creating a lot of friction because fire is energy. So you're creating energy between two pieces of earth. 
So you're creating it like this. Then what do you do? You breathe into it from heaven. You blow upon it and fire comes forth. That's how you create fire basically from nothing if you have no tools. That is what God did in Genesis 2-7. He took the dust of the ground like wood in his hands and blew on it and fire. Man was created. Fire, Aleph, Sheen, man, the Yud, the hand of God between the Aleph and the Sheen and the fire. Boom, the spark of life, man. Our essence is fire. Think about the Godhead. He is a consuming fire. Yeshua is a burning candlestick. The Holy Spirit was flames of fire. We are created in his image. The difference between fire and man is the hand of God. So when he con- comes with a consuming fire and his chariots of fire, our essence is part of that coming in fire. So let me share a little bit about fire. Light, we're the light of the world. We're a light that we should not be under a bushel, but we should be put on a, on a hill for all the world to see. Some of you might be feeling not too fiery. <laughs> you are supposed to burn and consume and bring life. And what the, the elements of, and the descriptions of fire, passion, energy, power, almost um, not being able to be contained. These are all some of the aspects and attributes of fire, which we are supposed to be. So how do we get more fire? You fan the flames with what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we need more wind of the Holy Spirit to come into us. One of the the best ways to to take out a fire is you have a fire and you smother it. You can smother it with almost about any material. Yes, you can smother it with water. You can actually smother it with wood and stuff that just smothers it without the wind of the Holy Spirit. The fire will diminish. We want the wind of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the testimony of Yeshua. The testimony of Yeshua is hearing by the word of God. That's why it's so important to hearken diligently to the voice of God. So when I'm describing what I'm doing in the spirit when I'm studying is I'm hearken diligently to his voice. I am fanning my fire. And now my fire is roaring and raging. To the point where it's difficult sometimes to come in contact with people that have no fire because they burn. And it's very uncomfortable for them. We are fire. So when he comes with fire, 
we are coming with fire. That burning fire, it's also volatile, passionate. Let me tie it this way too. Even in the ancient religions and the, the mystical religions today, they talk about the elements. And we've talked a little bit about the heavenly elements and the earthly elements, but Greeks and pagans, they really believed in four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water. In fact, there was even a band in the 70s called Earth, Wind, and Fire. They were totally pagan. I really liked their music, but they were totally pagan. I didn't know them when I was a Christian. I mean, I knew them when I was, when I was not a Christian, but they were saying that they are the heavens in the earth. A counterfeit of everything that we just talked about with heavens in the earth today. And sometimes the Eastern religions or other types of uh, New Age religions will make it five elements. And sometimes they break up the earth element into metal and wood. And sometimes the occult will break it up into five also, adding the spirit. And then they make a pentagon of all this mess. But we've talked about this, often the false, most of the time the false has some element of truth to it. So they take it and they corrupt it. Well, these elements are contained within the heavens and the earth, and we and, and, and it's elementals of God. He is fire. We talked about that. What about water? He's the river of life. What about earth? He's the tree of life. Wind. The Holy Spirit comes as the wind. And we're made in that image. So fire is one of those dominant elementals that we are. And we're supposed to be strong, energetic, almost volatile, passionate. It goes back to the verse that we read from Zechariah that says three times, I am jealous. Sometimes translated zealous. I am Ka'ana, Yahuwah Ka'ana. That is the fire. Yahuwah fire is basically what it's saying. Well, same thing with us. Let's close with this on Isaiah 66, 15. When he comes with fire, I want to share that passion of the fire because when he comes with fire, we need to understand that's his essence. That's our essence too. That's the beginning of our essence. Leviticus 26. Talking about the last days and Zion and through Isaiah, I mentioned that we really can't understand Revelation without understanding the involvement of the heavens and the earth. We really can't understand Revelation also without understanding Leviticus. Yes, Leviticus, because in Leviticus, it describes all of Revelation, basically, in Leviticus 26. Huh, I've never heard that before. Yes, it is true, because all of these plagues and boils and judgments are released upon the city of Babylon. All of the plagues and boils and judgments get released upon us through the cross. 
of Yeshua. So now the city of Babylon and its inhabitants get judged by the book of the law because the heavens and the earth are witnesses against them. So now we encourage and we call upon the heavens and the earth to give witnesses to the new world order, to the Illuminati, to the city of Babylon, to the constructs of the anti-millennial kingdom, to all the minions thereof. And we say, heavens and earth, it's time. Go and be witnesses so that the judgment of God can come forth. Leviticus 26. This is a core chapter to understand Revelation. It starts off with the blessings of Yahuwah. Now, granted, this is under the book of the law. And for those of you that have been with me, we understand there's a difference between the book of the covenant and the book of the law. We are no longer under the book of the law. But guess what? Those who are still under a priesthood that is of humanity are under the book of the law because it's written on their hearts. We get grafted into the book of the covenant because we walk by faith under Yeshua. So there's blessings there, and then there's a whole list of cursings. And part of the cursings is, if you disobey me, then I'm going to go, I'm going to do this. And if you repent not, then I'm going to add more. And if you repent not, I'm going to add more. And now here's the final one. Leviticus 26. Verse 26. I'll start Leviticus 26, 26. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, means he's cut off, hearing from the word of God, bread of life. Ten women shall bake your bread in one oven. They shall deliver your bread again by weight, and you shall eat it and not be satisfied. So not only do you not get the literal translation bread in the earth realm, you're not even getting the spiritual bread. It is gone. He has cut off the voice of Yah from those that are under this judgment. It gets worse, verse 27. And if you will not, for all of this, not hearken to me, but walk contrary to me. These are those people that have, have, have transgressed so much that God's not even speaking to them anymore. So guess what they do? They go even worse. He says this, verse 28. Then I will walk contrary unto you. So he's not only going to go walk against them, but he's going to do it also in fury. And we read Isaiah 66, 15, Isaiah 63, Zechariah 8, Revelation 19. It's all about the fury of his wrath. This is the judgment. Now we can understand these last days and the judgment that is poured upon the city of Babylon and her inhabitants because it comes right here from Leviticus 26. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sin. So he's saying, not only am I going to walk against you, I'm going to walk against you in fury. And not only am I going to send my tools, my weapons against you, 
I'm coming against you and I'm coming against you sevenfold for your transgression. And you can read the rest of Leviticus. It's basically like reading the book of Revelation. That's Isaiah 66, 15. When he comes out of the heavens in a flaming fire with chariots of fire, with blood dripping on his garments, walking in fury on our behalf to bring judgment to the city of Babylon where we get to hang out in the heavens, get to hang out in the earth, call upon them, interact with them, go before the Kohen Haggadah and ask and it'll be given. Seek and it will be found. Knock and it'll be door open to you. Because isn't God a God that will give good gifts to his children, to the remnants that are being saved and that are being delivered by Joseph, the birthright, Joseph, the remnant, those that have the inheritance. One verse today. <laughs> Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your encouragement. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your might. We thank you that you are continuing to expose evil in this day and that you will execute righteous judgment. And even in the midst of the judgment, you will extend mercy for those that will turn and repent and hearken diligently to your voice. For we pray that you do not come against fury for those who are in repentance, but they would come into your mercy, that they would come into the kingdom of light. And all of this, the thing that we seek above all things, is that this would prepare for your manifest presence. That you would bring your holy mountain down unto the earth. So we call upon the heavens and the earth to be witnesses to the covenants of promise that you have grafted us into, that the dues of heaven and the blessings of heaven would come upon us, that the dues and the righteousness from the earth would spring forth like salvation in our lives, and that the heavens and the earth would be witnesses upon all of our enemies now in Yeshua's name, that you would send out your host to conquer and destroy all enemies that oppose us according to your assignments and your purposes in our scrolls and in our lives. We break down any barrier, obstacle, objection now in Yeshua's name. We flatten any mountain or hill that the enemy has established before us in accomplishing your task. We level any valley, we straighten any crooked path, and we make plain any rough place. And we declare that today is the day of salvation, and we place the sword of your presence in the timeline according to heaven and earth in its scroll, and heaven and earth in our scrolls, and we guard and protect the timeline that the enemy will have no effect on the timing of your return, the timing of your judgment upon them, and the timing of your blessing upon us. We destroy any time thieves and say, done. 
we break off any connection to the unholy timelines in the future, to the unholy timelines in the past, and declare that this day you are the great I am. You are the one that exists. And this day your timeline is established in the earth, in the heavens on our behalf. Make it all aligned now, Yeshua. For you are our great high priest and you hear our voice. And we ask for the establishment of the timelines of the heavens and the earth according to your purposes today in Yeshua's name. And we come in agreement. No more will the enemy confuse us. No more will the enemy have all of these timelines rearranged in our lives, but this day is a focal point of I am, I exist, I am Yahuwah. And we know that you give good gifts to your kids. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would stir in everyone's heart encouragement. That you would stir up in everyone's heart the fire that you have made them to be, that you would blow like the wind, that their fire would start to kindle, that the earth within them, the wood would start to light, that the heavenly winds would start to activate and blow upon the earth, that their fire would grow stronger and stronger within them. I pray that they would even feel the warmth coming up from their feet into their heads that their spirits would start to stir and start to leap for joy like John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth. We thank you for the encouragement of the cloud of witnesses and ask that they would surround us with songs of deliverance, that the shouts of victory, victory, victory would be heard in the heavens and the earth and under the earth, that the banner of Yahuwah Nissi would be waved, that there would be singing and dancing amongst our tribe. And the frequency of heaven would fill everyone under this banner. We thank you for our time together. We thank you that you have ordained this time from the beginning of all creation. We thank you for the convergence of your loved ones all right here in you in the midst. And we declare this done in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.